Blog Talk Radio. Hello? Here we go. This is a show dedicated to positive atheism, secular thinking, and uh, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism. And uh, today we have a guest with us. Who do we have, Karen? We have uh, Merlin Horton. She's the executive director and founder of uh, Safe Online, and she will be talking about internet safety. Awesome. And um, yeah, so she will be bringing a friend on as well. And uh, we have Liam here to do a science segment. Liam, Liam is back finally from his uh, from his uh, skip in Ottawa. Hi, Liam. How you doing? Uh, good. Hello. So uh, here, last we heard on the show, you were actually captured by the RCMP and frisked. Uh, that is a false report. It was of your demise of being greatly exaggerated. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Well, let's get right into it right away. Um, we might as well. Uh, no, I I just want to hang around and waste time for a while first. What else is new? <laughs> no, we got a we got a lot going on the show. We're not going to go into uh, local news, uh, but we're going to go straight into this day in history. All right, <clears throat> this day in history, May thirty first, in seventeen ninety, the first U.S. copyright law was enacted, and uh, June first, nineteen thirty eight. I'm not sure why this is a really important fact, but anyway, 1938, the first issue of Action Comics featuring Superman is published. Yeah, <laughs> that is an important thing. Uh, he's Canadian too, yeah. Uh, I didn't know he was Canadian. Well, well he's, interesting. He's a co-creator is a Canadian. Oh. 1958, Charles de Gaulle becomes Premier of France. And in June, June 1st, 1968, Helen Keller dies. An incredible woman. Um, June... Second, 1953, Queen Elizabeth II is crowned. Um, <clears throat> and June 4th, 1896, Henry Ford took his first car out for a test drive. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Changed the face of modern transportation, yeah. obviously. And June 4th, 1942, Battle of Midway in the um, Second World War began. Um, in the Pacific. Okay. Um... In June 5th, 1793, the Mon- uh, Montgolfier brothers gave the first successful balloon flight demonstration. The Montgolfier brothers. Oh, okay, that, you know, that's pronouncing it badly. That's okay. okay. 1968, Robert Kennedy is shot. And June 5th, 2004, Ronald Reagan died. And <laughs> <laughs> we have cheers here. That's awesome. It's okay. There were silent cheers. Okay. <laughs> June yeah. 5th, 2013, The Guardian publishes leaks. By Edward Snowden. Uh, very yeah, significant day. Very recent. Yeah. Berlin, by the way, feel free to jump in anytime you want. There, we got the mic. No, don't be shy. I just don't want to abuse it in any way. The mic? They're solid. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, June 6, 2002, George W. Bush um, proposes the Department of Homeland Security. Hmm. We all know where that went. Yeah. <clears throat> June 7th. 
1654, Louis XIV is crowned. Louis XIV? Uh-huh. And in 1929, the Vatican City becomes a sovereign state. 1929. Oh. Not that long ago. No, it's not. Uh, June 9th, 1870, Charles Dickens died. And in unrelated news, on June 9th in 1934, Donald Duck made his screen debut. You bet. Screen debut of Donald Duck. That is a moment in history. Yeah. I wish I could do the voice. I just can't. And on June 9th, this is a really significant day, June 9th, 1978, Mormons allowed black men to become priests. Yeah, people don't know that the Mormons were officially racist until that date. And, 1978. Uh, which would have been an interesting question to ask Mitt Romney when he was running for president because he was in the Mormon faith when they were uh, officially racist. That would have been an interesting question, but the media was too scared to do that. That's because he didn't come on this podcast, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> Um, June 10th, 2013, Ontario issues the first same-sex marriage licenses in North America. Yay, Ontario! Uh, June 11th, 1770, Captain James Cook discovers the Great Barrier Reef off Australia. And June 14th, 1954, Eisenhower inserts under God in the pledge of American allegiance. Yeah, few few people don't know that uh, it was not always on the money. It was not always uh, in the Pledge of Allegiance either. Either. It was uh, actually as a uh, measure that was used to fight the godless communists during the Cold War. The 50s, sort of yeah. step backwards. Okay, uh, June 16th, 1963, the first woman in space, Valentina Tereshkova. I didn't probably She's Russian. That. We can yeah, forgive Russian. you for pronouncing that wrong. Um, I don't think we have much of a Russian audience at this point. <laughs> Although I'm sure you welcome them when they do. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> we welcome all listeners. Please listen. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, June 16th, the, in 1996, the first presidential election in Russia. Boris Yeltsin won. I remember that very clearly. Good old Reagan Yeltsin. Um, June 17th, 1885, the Statue of Liberty arrives in New York as a gift from France. <laughs> June 18th, in 1812, the War of 1812 began. I know. <laughs> Who would have they thought? They couldn't find an original name for that story. <laughs> uh, we're running out of names. Let's just give it the year, 1812. This is one I find interesting. June 18th, uh, 1873, Susan B. Anthony is fined $100 for attempting to vote in the American presidential election. What year was that? 1873. That would have been a lot of money. She's and fined $100, yeah. $100? Yeah. Did she, uh, did she, she didn't have the opportunity, I guess, to pay it. Susan B. Anthony dollars. <laughs> <laughs> <Just> no, not. No. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Uh, June 19th, 1862, Congress abolishes slavery in the United States. And uh, in June 19th, 1987, the Supreme Court strikes down a Louisiana law that requires public schools to teach creationism. Yay! 1987. Yeah, wow. it's awful close. Yeah. June 20th, 1837, Queen Victoria ascends to the throne. That's all we got for our second? That's it. Awesome. Well, hopefully you've learned a bit from that history. Liam. Yes. You're back around. Yes, I am. Thank you for coming back and not abandoning us. All right. <laughs> and you have a bit of a science segment for us. Yes, I do. Well, hold on a second. We've got to use the appropriate music for that. Because that's just, that's just your music. That's not the same thing. Yeah. Where am I here? Uh, you should just plunge right in. Yeah. That, that's just wonderful radio. All right. Okay, go So today, we're talking about a um, 19-year-old from the Netherlands, Flat, I'm probably missing out Flat, has uh, again unveiled his plan to, for a project he thinks can clean the oceans of plastic, which is pretty neat. Uh, in 2012, he originally unveiled his plan, which is... Uh, a system of of booms, which are pretty much just like a, a super beefed up pool divider with a little fin underneath that he wants to stretch across the, the radius of the five gyres in the ocean. And they're slightly V-shaped with a collection area in the middle of the V. So as waterborne plastic particles are swirled around in the gyre by the ocean currents, they'll bump up against this boom and uh, be funneled into the collection area where they can be removed from the ocean. 
Can you um, explain to our listeners who might not know what the gyre is? Yes, well, uh, in the ocean, in five uh, regions in the ocean, there are uh, ocean currents that come from opposing directions and make like a big kind of whirlpool effect. It's it's not very visible, but when you have lots of particles in the ocean, they get swirled around and kind of held into these jars. Right. So that's like a that's where m- most of the trash that ends up in the ocean kind of collects. Yes. Uh, by according to Boyan's own calculations, there's 72.5 million tons of plastic uh, in this, wow. these jars around the world. So he initially in 2012 said it would take him five years with uh, to take it all out. Uh, he amended that to 10 years in his release uh, at the beginning of the month. So is he, does he have some kind of government funding? Does he have people who are helping him to implement this? Or are nations well, dragging their feet? I- initially, when he announced it, uh, there was a lot of criticism. People who thought that it was just kind of a, a crackpot idea that didn't have any grounding in uh, practicality. But since then, he created his uh, association, the Ocean Cleanup, which has a, a team of over 100 experts which spent all the time between uh, 2012 and then 2014 testing the feasibility of the idea. Mm-hmm. And they've come up with a, a report which talks about all the potential issues the idea might have. And they claim that it is still a valid option, that it could be implemented with success. And really, what do we have to lose? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's really cool. So, uh, is it a large? Like these booms make quite a large. Well, they uh, well, yeah, it has. They to have to cover the radius yeah. of the gyre, so they're extraordinarily large, and that's one of the things that has been criticized by it is the sheer scale that it would have to cover, because to be effective, it would have to cover the radius of the gyre so that all the water swirling around runs up against mm-hmm. it at some point. What would they make it out of? Do you know? Uh, it's a kind of buoyant plastic thing with a fin underneath. They've only made a prototype so far, so I don't think they've done uh, full technical testing on materials. But they they need to take into account uh, biofouling, where if they have like barnacles, etc., that grow on the surface of them, because if they're going to be out in the for ten years, they need to be very resistant to any mm-hmm. kind of damage. Okay. And would this require a lot of monitoring, to, or do you just set it up there and leave it? Well. Presumably, they'd need to check up on it to make sure it's not damaged, because if it were to become breached or something, then uh, it wouldn't be effective anymore, and they'd just have it sitting out in the ocean mm-hmm. being another bit of garbage, right? Hmm. Beautiful. Fascinating so, idea. do we know if uh, there's any, uh, you know, like those uh, Kickstarter sites or something yes, like that? Yes, there is. Uh, if you go to their website, which you can find just by Googling Boyan Slat or the Ocean Cleanup, uh, they have a crowdfunding thing set up so that if you want to help the project proceed, you can uh, donate to it. Uh, and that's Boyan, that's his first name. It's B-O-Y-A-N. His last name is Slat, S-L-A-T. Yes. Now, Boyan is not nothing for buoyancy, right? It's just no. happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> so, yes. Just Very cool. Derail the show into the ground already. <laughs> Non secateur. <laughs> well, thank you, Liam, for that. Yes. As usual. And are you sticking around with us? Yes, I am. Excellent. Because the show today is mainly about um, cyberbullying, bullying, internet safety, and that's why we have Merlin with us today. How are you doing, Merlin? I'm doing great. Thank you. Please, please tell us about yourself and the people that don't know you. And if you don't, it's a shame on you because she's on the radio all the time. Thank She's you. also a super nice person. Aww. Everyone should know Merlin. Uh, well, my name is Merlin Horton. I'm the executive director and founder of the Safe Online, uh, which is an internet safety education organization. I'm a former youth outreach worker. I uh, worked with young people who were involved in street life and uh, in conflict with their parents and the law from uh, the mid-1980s until the year 2000. I turned 40 in the year 2000, so now you know how old I am, and I got a bit too old to hang out at the mall and not bus stop in the pool hall anymore, <laughs> and had to find a new life, a uh, new career for myself. I'd been involved in uh, technology for a very long time. I don't look like one, but I'm a geek. I had my first laptop in 1986. It had 4K of memory. Woohoo! We back to that deck. Um, and I was online in 1996. Uh, I lived east of Mission then, and we didn't have a furnace, but we had a wood stove, and I had dial-up. Hey, and, look at that, a local. Uh, we were on uh, <laughs> something called Internet Relay Chat, IRC, for some of your people who have been on the web for a long time. And, 
and uh, they called it the information superhighway then. And <laughs> working with street kids, I started to wonder, where's the crossover? Where are my high-risk young people going to be impacted by this whole new level of community and society? I was also working with um, young people who were sexually exploited at that point. And um, the, the sex trade for young people was disappearing from our streets. I was working in Abbotsford at that point, and we had many young people being sexually exploited in person, face-to-face. And about 1999, 2000, um, those young people started to disappear, and so sexual exploitation started to move to places like Craigslist, which I felt really strongly required in updating and youth-serving practices so that we remained relevant to where the risks our young people were meant that we have to get online and be where they are. So beware of Craigslist, Karen. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think the Internet's like electricity. We, You know, it's value neutral. It's how we use it. And certainly Craigslist, you know, has, you know, got lots of value. But often um, adults who use the Internet aren't aware of, of many of the risks in those kind of normal, everyday places that we don't think actually um, carry risks. For young people can ha- have additional consequences. And that's what I've spent the last 12 years of my life doing, trying to talk to people and talk to young people and parents about why the web's cool, because I totally love it, but um, as well why we need to start thinking critically about how we use it, uses it, at what age, and, 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 and how. Well, we're going to try to get to uh, all that, and hopefully we'll get in touch also with uh, Paula, your friend, uh, who, uh, Paula Todd, right? Paula Todd. Yeah, yes. who uh, wrote a book, and she's in town, so we're going to try to get a hold of her via Skype and all that. But before all that, since you're here, and we just love to do that with our guests, and since there's four of us here right now, we have a pop quiz. Yes, Is that a good bit? Or <laughs> the 10 in BC. So, question one. What is the percentage of kids bullied in school or at school? Is it A, 64%, B, 81%, C, 45%, or D, 33%? I'm going for C, 45%. 64%. 81. Oh, where to go, Merlin? Where's the buzzard? She got the first one already. Look at that. She's already kicking butt. Question two. What is the percentage of kids witnessing bullying at least once in a while? Is it A, 50%, B, 72%, C, 90%, or D, none? Too busy skipping school. 90. I'd say 90. Everyone sees it once in a while. I'll go for 70. 72? 72. Look at her. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You'd think I researched this. Yeah, yeah. Somehow... She knows, and I'm not giving her the answers. Um, what is the percentage of kids that try to intervene in those situations? Is it A, 10%, B, 20 C, 40 or D, 95 10 Yeah, that's what I think, too. 20 Oh, uh, close. It is 40%. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's getting, it's getting be more getting better. Than we are. Yeah, yeah that's, that's positive. Absolutely. Last question. What is the percentage of teens who have a negative who have had a negative experience with social networking. Is it A, 25%, B, 39%, C, 51%, or D, we own Facebook, so we don't? C, 51%. I don't know. 39%. C, 51%. It is 51%. I finally got a question right. Liam, Liam, I'm sorry, zero. Liam. Yeah, what's up with that? Liam got zero? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say, Liam. It's, uh, and it's interesting. I mean, you, you're... Your stats reflect the fact that a lot of adults are probably surprised by those by those statistics, and adults are unaware of it. But I, I would say that young people wouldn't be surprised by those statistics at all. Would you agree with? Yeah, well, I would actually think they'd be higher in most counts. I think when people participate in surveys like that, they're often under yeah estimate what's the truth. Right? Yeah, and also one of the issues that we've had, and uh, this has been highlighted by several by the U.S. by the 
by the Senate hearings that went on on cyberbullying here in Canada last year, is that because definitions of cyberbullying vary so greatly, that internationally the, the stats that say young people, young people reporting having been cyberbullied vary between 5% and 97%. Wow. Because even the experts can't agree on what the definition of it, which is, you know, if we get into talking about that later, which is one of the real problems with the word cyberbullying itself. Hmm. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Uh, so should we go to a commercial break and we'll just try to uh, contact Paula in the meantime. We'll be right back. Now it's time for an AtheistAudiobooks.com sneak preview. The happy atheist is proving after facing our constitution in God. The God virus. Here is an excerpt from The Good News Club. The Christian Right's Stealth Assault on America's Children by Catherine Stewart. This book had its beginnings in one of those events that at first seems too small to matter until suddenly it becomes too big to ignore. When a program called The Good News Club showed up on a roster of after-school activities at my daughter's public elementary school in Santa Barbara, California, I didn't give it much thought. The club advertised itself as a non-denominational Bible study program for children of kindergarten age and older, and it required parental consent for children to participate. I soon found out, however, that the Good News Club is very different from what it appears to be. More importantly, I discovered that the club is really just one small part of a much larger story that should be of concern to anyone who cares about the future of public education or indeed the future of secular democracy in the United States. The Good News Club. The Christian Rights Stealth Assault on America's Children is now available on AtheistAudiobooks.com. Bye, Paula. Not, not back, Kevin, honey. Okay, here we go. We're right. <laughs> okay, just record through the whole commercial. So <laughs> we got Paula on the line. Hi, Paula. Hi there. Um, Hello. Have to mic there, so oh. we can hear her too. Right? Yeah, okay. Perfect. How's that? Try that again. Hello, Paula. Hello there. Perfect. That's awesome. bullies and predators online, and it's coming to you from McCullen and Stuart Random House. Beautiful. Uh, I got a couple of questions I want to start off with. Do you want to let, let's let uh, Merlin introduce Paula first? Oh, of course, of course. Jump right your questions. Lovely. Uh, so this is Paula Todd. She is a professor of journalism and ethics at Seneca University. She's a best-selling author of uh, two books, one called Finding Carla Pomoka and another book called A Quiet Kind of Courage. Um, she's also a lawyer, uh, an activist, and uh, a very, very well-written woman um, that I have had the pleasure to meet in uh, at the cyberbullying conferences. Uh, she's been working on this book for the last two years, and uh, Extreme Meme, Trolls, Bullies, and Predators on the Internet, and I, I just have to, it's an exceptionally well-written book, and uh, I really think changes the... Uh, the level of discourse that we're going to have around cyber abuse and um, and the way we conduct ourselves and culture online overall. So welcome, Paula. Yes, welcome. Thank you so much, Merlin. Yeah, uh, Paula. Um, well, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you're. We know you're a busy, busy person. Uh, we all are. <laughs> Everybody's busy. <laughs> well, that's true. How was your reception in uh, in uh, Vancouver? Oh, it was brilliant. Uh, I I managed to stop by. New Global and CBC and City and uh, had some opportunity to meet uh, not just your journalists but uh, a lot of people who are spending a great deal of their time trying to make sure that the internet isn't used as a weapon. Uh, the book's become a bestseller in about a, about a week and a half, which I hope means that people are genuinely interested in change. Mm-hmm. 
So, so Paula, um, to, to the layperson, right? if I was to ask, you know, what's the status of kids in regard to Internet security and privacy in Canada or in BC? Well, it absolutely depends on who their parents are, who their teachers are, and what they all know about uh, online safety. And, you know, right now, we are living in the very brief aftermath of the Internet coming to us on a mass level and changing all of our lives. And kids, in particular, were among the first online, which means that they brought with them a vocabulary and a spontaneity and an absence of the ability to make wise decisions about you know, their public self. Uh, but they also are huge targets because predators and psychopaths, uh, you know, there's a lot of blowback on this. People don't want us to, to tell you about that because they don't want to be afraid. But unfortunately, they're, they're very well organized and they've been using, uh, you know, the Internet as a weapon uh, against young kids. My book is about not just kids and teens, though. It's about adults and how some of them are being badly cyber abused as well, whether that's they're becoming the victims of revenge porn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Liam, if you had a question, feel free to jump into it. Right? Uh, so, so, so uh, what, what's the difference today uh, between, you know, the physical versus the cyberbullying? I mean, uh, today I'm assuming cyberbullying is much more prevalent, but I mean, does, does that reach the same levels? But I was wondering, you know, what's the difference today between the two? There's a huge controversy. I mean, what we need to remember is that if we were, you know, if when, when history looks back on us, we are the pioneers. Uh, we've really been online for just a minuscule second. Uh, and so we are learning a lot. And one of the difficulties we're having is that the researchers who've been counting traditional bullying, like schoolyard bullying, you know, where you get beat up, as you just mentioned, or uh, pushed into your locker, or have everything stolen, terrible, terrible experiences for young people. Uh, right now, the research is showing that that is still the majority of abuse that uh, is going on in the world. But the problem is that the same tests are being used to count sides of abuse as are to count uh, traditional bullying. And what my research suggests fairly overwhelmingly is that uh, as a result, we aren't including uh, in our statistics about cyber abuse, we're not including lots and lots of cases. Um, It's just like everything else, you know, privacy and free expression. uh, A lot of people don't really understand how the Internet works, and that's understandable. It didn't come with a manual. Uh, and as a result, we don't have a handle on it. So, uh, you know, based on anecdotal research, and I did take a, a, a good, strong look at academic research, too, I, I can't tell you for sure that cyber abuse has no outstripped traditional bullying, but I can tell you it's a far, far bigger problem than some of the, you know, predictable research would suggest to you. Mm-hmm. I think also, and we were just talking before the break, Paula, about also that uh, the distinction, and you brought it up in your language already, between cyberbullying and cyber abuse and the, the difficulties that we have actually uh, statistically monitoring or reflecting what cyber, quote, unquote, bullying is, is because it's become just such a diluted word and it, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, of uh, Wendy, Wendy Craig's research from Prevnet. Um, where she stood up at one point at a conference I was at and showed a slide that said, you know, a, a certain percentage of children have experienced being afraid online in the last week. They've experienced being threatened. And then the bottom question, they said, have you been cyberbullied? And the, none of the kids identified those behaviors as cyberbullying. So well, that's what we, yeah, and that's, that's such a good point, Merlin, because the research is showing us that academics themselves, and these are people who've gone to school for a long time, they cannot agree on a definition of cyberbullying. So we certainly cannot expect young people to be able to define, you know, what those who are studying it cannot. The other thing is uh, international research is also showing us that because of a variety of reasons, many, many people online will not 
will not reveal that they're being targeted or cyberbullied or in the general category cyber abused. And in, in young people's cases, that's often because parents don't understand uh, what's going on until they take their devices away, which pretty much cuts you off from being a social animal these days. Hmm. Yeah, number one reason that kids won't talk to their parents about the stress they have online is fear of technology and their connection to their peers. Really? And you, you, you find a lot of fear from the adults talking to the kids. I mean, I, I look at it almost like giving them the sex talk in a way, but they don't want to do it because they feel that they're inadequate when it comes to talk about technology. I, I I think, I mean, one of my greatest passions, and if there's somebody out there, you know, like the billion-dollar corporations who are benefiting off all of the trafficking in our information, if they want to put the money somewhere, the number one place I'd like to see it go, besides obviously to say online, uh, to protect young people, is parents have been taught by technology companies and, of course, by the kids who, you know, were, were were allowed to go on the internet long before anybody understood how powerful it could be and that they were permitted to think of the internet as a toy. And as a result, they, of course, they create a secret language and they do everything they can to make the internet seem really, really difficult. And you know what, young kid wouldn't do that to try to keep their parents off it. And because these tech companies keep producing new and new and new and more and more devices, which when you really sit down are not that difficult. I mean, the place I'd like to see a lot of money uh, and support go to is helping parents understand the basics of, of this Internet technology. And, and the message I'm trying to get across to you is it is not hard. It's not even a little bit hard. The Internet is like a telephone that operates on a number of other platforms. So, yeah, you can see each other. You know, you can interact. But it is nevertheless a communication device and one that, if you understand how it works, you can easily help make the decisions about what should and should not be done in your family online. We have a lot of parents that are technically intimidated, and it's just that. And and I have a lot of sympathy. I, I, I mean, at Safe Online, we do parent education, and, and the trick is to get parents out because they're often intimidated. They've given up. They don't think they're ever going to catch up. And we really have to, to move them towards a space where it's, you know, it, it's hard for parents to acknowledge that their teenager knows more than them. But we really have reached a state where it, it's a great leveler. Young people are empowered with, technical, you know, some knowledge. They're using the devices. See more young people engaged with adults and, and you know, older people. We, we'll go out and we recommend to the children that we educate between three and great, between you know grade four and grade seven that if they learn something from our presentation, go share it with your grandma or grandpa. We have to get the conversations happening between different people of different generations and move this knowledge around. You know, it's really interesting you say that, and that's brilliant, Merlin, that that you are proposing that and that you're offering these courses. And in terms of you know telling somebody, grandparents is a fantastic suggestion because what I discover is uh, a lot of uh, older people are like parents. My my mother, for example, is in her late 70s. She won't like me saying that, but <laughs> she took to the internet immediately. I mean, we had dial-up the second that it was available, and it made her seem very strange. But as you look around, you know, these are people who have great amount of experience and usually are quite well educated by the time they get to that age. It's the group in between. It's the parents who are busy, who are, um, mm. I, you know, I think Merlin, I quoted you in uh, Extreme Memes saying this, that they, that they park their kids in front of the iPad the same way that, you know, they, they did in front of television. And we certainly knew to be alert to that, but I guess it's a catch-up game. I think it gets even on the side of the kids. I mean, I was talking to a child, a young teenager the other day about doing the show about Internet security. And the first thing they said is, that why, why would we talk to adults about Internet security? We know more, more about the technology than them. But I told them it's not about the technology so much. It's about the psychology of humans that we need to uh, get there. And, uh, I'd like, you know what, can I just balance this out? Of course. I teach digital media in, in Toronto, and my students range from about 17, you know, the rare student up to 30, but more likely tapering off around 24, 25. It is a complete fallacy that having been born in the age when, you know, the Internet was already synonymous with communication. You didn't know your time without it. Some people call them digital natives. There is no correlation between 
that and having digital skills. In fact, when I get some of my students who you would think, oh, you must be a brainiac about this. No, they're not. Some of them have spent absolutely no time. Some of them don't even know how to Google in a way that would allow them to do their research. So I think it's part of this myth about how you know young kids know how to do this. Look, they were playing video games initially. They were messaging things like, you know, uh, well, extremely mean things that were born of immaturity. And the sudden ability at 10 years of age to say the dirty words that you can get your mouth washed out for, right? So we really need to be careful about this. There are a lot of adults online who know what's going on, and there are young people who don't know what's going on, and they're falling prey to a whole bunch of problems. So um, sort of related to that, technology aside, what what should our, I mean, it's different than, than schoolyard bullying, but it's still going to be similar tools in that we teach our children to stand up for themselves or so even apart from the technology what is the message we should be communicating to our, our children here's the here's the point of my research I, I went into it as a you know journalist and broadcaster fairly well known in canada i've been the target of just extremely too nice treatment and extremely mean treatment and you know, I, it's not, I can't say and nobody should say that they'll ever grow accustomed. This is the thing that really upsets me. You know, stand strong against this. Don't let it affect you. Well, the only way to not let human input not hurt you is if you're a psychopath. And, and I don't want to encourage people to do that. And I sure don't want to watch kids being told, you know, oh, just ignore uh, what's online. But what I've attempted to do in extreme mean is just to dig way deeper who is doing the cyber abusing? Like when you say you're going to stand up to that and you're going to be resilient, you got to know what you're being resilient to. The internet has a incredible potential to expose for us the problems that are generating the cyber abuse. So what are they? Mental illness is one of the reasons that people are disproportionately attracted to the Internet. So it's not like a mean monolith. There are groups of people who are more likely to hang out online. Research out of the University of Manitoba shows us that everyday status, everyday um, psychopaths, and everyday sort of Machiavellianists, people who love power are more likely to go there. And then everyday means that it's subclinical. It's not somebody who's going to go out and kidnap you and torture you and kill you. But these are people, everyday status, for example, these are people who get bored. You've heard that before with the Internet. Get bored if they're not sort of like shocking the cat or seeing you get upset, right? So, so are, you saying, are you saying that this is where we'll find our local politicians? <laughs> Oh, I'm so not going there. <laughs> but, but those are just, I'd just like to say, those are just two of what I found to be at least 10 other groups of people who are motivated to go online. And so before we tell everybody to, you know, stop being a human being, which the Internet is supposed to connect us and make us more, I hope, uh, humane, we need to understand where these people are coming from. So, Paula, rather than saying, that the internet has a disinhibition and an anonymity effect on everyone that would lean them towards a, a higher propensity for meanness or, or um, dysfunctional. Your, 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 your case is, is that the internet itself attracts a disproportionate number of mean people. You're right, you're right. But I will say, my, your concern I'm sure and mine as well is that people need to see the internet as it is a mode of communication, just like we had carrier pigeons and then we had, you know, the telegraph and the phone and now we have the Internet. But having said that, the attributes of the Internet are different than any other communication stream we've ever had before. Anonymity plays a role. There's just no question. But it's not the central role. There are a lot of people in life who do wonderful things anonymously. And the fact that you go online and you can be anonymous is a great thing in some cases, and it's something we need to protect. It allows people to, to seek services of all kinds that they can when they live in um, a discriminatory world. Uh, it allows people to speak up when they're being politically abused without being further politically abused. And disinhibition does occur, but we need to understand how it happens. It's not the fault of the Internet. Disinhibition occurs mainly when we de-individuate. And what that means is, I mean, basically, we stop being individuals. So you go online where the group 
I could argue, is the default position. You find a bunch of people, you want attention, or you want to be um, seen as part of a group, and so your own morals and values fall away if you've even developed them. Remember, they don't really develop in our brains like the ability to know we even need these until we're in our 20s. Mm. So you become part of a group, and it's just like offline. When you become part of a group, you accept the group norm, and you're just in a Speaking of uh, going into your 20s and all that, um, is there enough information, is there enough data to since the internet is a fairly new phenomenon, to say what happens when these people that are bullied transfer themselves into adults, into adulthood? Is there, is there the victim mentality? Does it continue? Do these uh, victims become bullies as, uh, as they become adults? Is there any data that shows that? And if so, yeah. what does it say? Yeah, there's tons of data, and, and it's very scary. It's much scarier than in the case of traditional bullying. So whereas you might have you know, been beaten up at school because you were small and weak, and, and, and these are the people who tend to be the targets of traditional bullying, you would have to slink off and hide and, and hope that people would forget in a couple of days before you came back to school. But now, of course, the vulnerable can go home and they can get on the Internet and become bullies themselves. And what the research is showing us that is if you've been a target of cyber abuse and you turn around and you become a cyber bully, the psychological effects are more devastating than anything else, I, I, you know, such as just being a target. And those effects include greater depression, the likelihood to turn to drugs and alcohol, uh, a real breakdown in your relationships, difficulty at work. This does not just apply to kids, difficulty at work and difficulty at school. So, yeah, it's a big problem. We can't ignore it. Wow. That's uh, pretty revealing. You guys, if you believe, you haven't said a thing so far. <laughs> you think you think our youngest member would have something to say about something like that? Just absorbing it. Absorbing it. Is this something that do you find, does, does, do the statistics show that uh, girls are more susceptible, or is it pretty equal online? No. I mean, do you want to speak to that, Merlin? No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the roll there. There's a, there has been, uh, you know, and I think there's some stereotyping going on there. There has been a push from some uh, researchers to suggest that, that girls are just meaner. And it is true that, uh, that girls, especially early on, have more focus on their relationships. But that's, that's mainly because of traditional stereotyped upbringing where, you know, young girls are supposed to be better behaved than boys, but they're actually kids too or young people too or adults too. And so they have to hide uh, more often their behavior. But what's interesting is that, the well, and it's like everything else, and you have to take everything with a grain of salt. This is one of the most exciting times uh, for anybody who's interested in research. It's evolving. But we've got competing studies, uh, many of them around the world. And when you look at them, the way they shake down is boys and girls have an equal susceptibility to going online, although the tendency right now is still boys picking on girls. Hmm. Really? Interesting. Well, well, it, you, you, the stereotype is that girls are picking on each other. That's, that's what you can kind of which hear. Which they do. Yeah, which yeah, they but... do. But this isn't a girl-driven cyber abuse revolution in, in any sense of the word. I mean, we've got buy-in on all kinds of levels. And that's why it's so important, that why I spend time in the book researching this and presenting you know, the, the world to us, because you're motivated to go online and do damage for a wide variety of reasons. I don't see cyber abuse as an act, like, I'm a girl, I'll be mean. I see going online and being abusive as a reaction. I mean, yeah. some of the strongest research shows us that when we're stressed, we're living under strain, whether that's, you know, we've got domestic problems at home, uh, we've got health problems, we've just got, you know, growing up problems, we're living in poverty, uh, we're facing discrimination gender-wise, LGBT, um, race, that we're more likely to cyber abuse because it's something that we can do that's stress and strain. So it's really important not to simplify this discussion and say, well, it's all girls being mean, it's all boys being bullies, because it's not. And, and we lose the nuance, which unfortunately, you know, right now with what's happening on the Internet, no nuance. 
all got to make it simple. And yeah. this in the face of vast amounts of information. Wow. I think also that, we, you know, <clears throat> in hopes of, of getting that granularity is also that we have a tendency to overuse cyber abuse. We've talked about this, but, uh, or cyber bullying. Um, we also have to understand that there's also online drama. And online drama is just the same drama that's always happened. It's not necessarily abusive. It's the peer negotiation and the experimentation that young people go through as they identify and construct themselves and decide who they're going to hang out and who they're not. Sometimes, as parents, we get to see all of this on the Internet. Um, we, we can observe our children's intimate behaviors, thoughts, actions more more specifically than ever before in history. You know, my parents didn't get to hear the recordings or the picture of what, what happened behind the A&W in 1977. Um, so they didn't get a chance to say, oh, is she being bullied or is she not being bullied? I had to, you know, deal with the drama. There's a researcher, Dana Boyd, who, who I really admire and talks about this extensively, but as parents, sometimes the more we see, we get all amped up and it's like, oh, they're being cyberbullied, they're being cyberbullied. Some of it is online drama. Some of it is kind of the same drama that goes on while young people are learning who they want to become. And it's and that, go ahead. And that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that that's such a good point. And you know, it has to do with our ability to adapt to a new technology because every parent suspects and you have to at some point pray that your child becomes a teen and grows into young adulthood and along the way learns the protocols of intimacy because otherwise there'd be no people left in the world. So it is necessary for that to happen. It's just that when you see it on the internet, like it's television, and when young people and adults too uh, don't understand that it's public and permanent and those images uh, can be spread far further than, you know, any gossip or photograph, uh, it's shocking. And the other thing I just like to help people with, especially adults right now, the internet's the strangest thing because it was the, you know, it started as a military uh, communication system in, in the event of nuclear war, and scientists and geeks, you know, were used it to to pass along academic research, and then it, it became available to the mass public and the invention of the certain SIFT, the World Wide Web. And suddenly we're online a lot, but we're not all online. And we know from looking at the studies, particularly coming out of the Pew Institute in the United States, that it was it was kids in the majority who were online. Wait a minute. Are, are, you, are you saying the Internet was not invented by Al Gore? <laughs> Developmental capacity to assess risk and to project into the future. <laughs> Al Gore, he just wanted to make a, make a good name for himself, and I'm sure he's still living with that gaff today. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, so Paula, where, for everybody out there, where can we find your book? Uh, is there a website you can promote? By all means, go for it. This is your time. Well, I'd love people to check out uh, the website www.extremememe.com because you can get some more information there. Uh, the book is available right now uh, online everywhere uh, at Indigo everywhere, and it's available in the United States as well. So, if it's hard to find, please let me know. Yeah. Is it, is it also on Amazon? What? Is it also on Amazon? Oh yes, it's everywhere. Hard copy and Kindle. Okay, I'll make sure to get check myself a copy. Check out Kobo. Remember, though, check out Kobo as well. Right. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll uh, post it on the on our little uh, webpage as well. Is there That'd be really else? lovely. <laughs> Let's keep having the conversation. I mean, you know, that's why, I, and, and Merlin, I've seen your website, and I know the work you do. That's why we're all trying to be so inclusive here, because this is something that's organically growing. The Internet is has pieces of all of us on it. And what I'm urging is to take back the Internet from the people who are disproportionately attracted to harm online. And it, not to punish, but to understand. This, nobody saw the Internet coming. Nobody saw the repercussions. Well, they saw the Internet coming, but not the repercussions of it on human behavior. But we need to have a discussion rather than, as the EU, for example, just did, uh, is trying to just shut it down and to permit censorship. So read about this. Get involved. Know who you are and demand your rights. And even if you don't think that you're a geek or you don't think that, you know, that you want to be part of the Internet, this isn't just about the Internet. This is about 
youth. This is about young people. This is about way our society is going to move forward. And the dialogues that we're having on the internet now are foundational to how that that milieu is going to evolve. I, I believe it has potential to be amazingly fantastic. I just think that we we can't leave. We can't abandon it to people who are abusing it. As people yeah. who are mothers, who are teachers, who are coaches, who are fathers, we need to be involved, even if it even if it scares us a little and we're a little intimidated. But you know what? Read the book, and you won't be afraid anymore. Because by the end of it, I'm telling you, it happened to me after two years doing the research. I have I I feel slightly immunized to the sting of some of the the abusive uh, behavior online, and that's because I understand where it's coming from. And when you understand that, you realize the Internet is is simply a communication stream and the problems we have online are people problems. And that's where we should be putting our attention. Well, thank you so much, Paula, for your time. We certainly appreciate uh, your your busy schedule. And like you said, what's that website again? www.extrememean.com Excellent. Yeah, it's Extreme Mean. It's the name of the book, extrememean.com. And you can reach me on Twitter at Paula underscore Todd. You can find the book pretty much everywhere. And if you can, let me know. Yes, absolutely. And uh, you know what? I just love that title, Extreme Mean. That's like one badass book right there, just by the title. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Paula. Thank you Take for doing care. our show. Have a great day. Bye, Paula. Yeah. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye now. That was Paula. People like Paula and Merlin are putting into this topic. It's really hugely important. And we'll be back in a minute, guys. Did you ever wonder if there's more to life than what is in the holy books? Do you think you can be good without God? Would you rather think skeptically than rely on blind faith? You are not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Dude, you're not alone. You're not alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. Join us at the Fraser Valley Atheists, Skeptics and Humanists. Be amongst friends. Find us at fvash.com. I'm friends with the monsters that's under my bed. Get along with the voices inside of my head. You're trying to save me, stop holding your breath. And you think I'm crazy, yeah, you think I'm crazy. crazy. I wanted to fame, but not to cover a new week. All right, and we're back. All right, there you go, you guys. You're back too. Of course we are. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> She's fantastic. So isn't she fantastic? Absolutely. She is just a firecracker, and that an extreme mean was researched uh, internationally. So uh, she extre- uh, interviewed over in uh, the Netherlands and uh, looked at. Uh, some of the people that were foundational and the like, the, considered the grandfathers of bullying research, and compared with what's going on online, as as well as some of the uh, the most recent research that's coming out, and a 2014 book that's relevant and has lots to say. Yeah, it, it looks like a fascinating read too, and I love the fact that she uh, ends on a positive note, uh, because uh, even uh, some of the initiatives, like um, what do you example that uh, pink T-shirt day, you know, the uh, where day was. Pink t-shirt, pink t-shirt day is the anti-bullying day, and yeah. it's a great initiative. I, I I just get discouraged when I hear things like kids at school who, you know, are, are shamed because they don't want to wear a pink t-shirt that day, mm. which, you know, that any con- enforced conformity has the potential then for individuals who don't feel like participating to, you know. So I, I think it's good to raise awareness. I mm-hmm. think it's, you know, worth the efforts in some ways, but we really need to... Um, we need to focus, you know, not so much on tokenism, but developing empathy and compassion and, and prioritizing those um, in raising children and educating young people. This is about um, providing the best experiences for them. And and Pink T-shirt, yeah, it gives kids a, a chance to come forward and participate. It's uh, I've seen some great videos done internationally of uh, singing the Lady Gaga song, for, for, <laughs> yeah. for example, last year, who was kissing pink t-shirts. So. You know, it's interesting, uh, during, our, I believe it was our last episode, uh, they were talking about, uh, of course, the show is, uh, you don't hold punches when it comes to religion, and we had this story about uh, how people were doing videos, uh, youth were doing videos in uh, Iran about uh, that uh, song, Happy, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and uh, the... the uh, 
they were arrested for dancing and making a video about something like that. So I thought, you know, it's it's kind of interesting. It's religion bullying. Hi, Karen. Mm-hmm. Welcome back. Hi. <laughs> there you go. Um, a lot of people might not know, but uh, I'm not exactly sure of that myself. But I was told that pink, although it's seen as a uh, girl color, is that was actually originally a color to designate boys. And it was mm-hmm. actually the other way around. Apparently, baby blue was actually more of a girl color. Don't know where the switch happened. I believe somewhere around the turn of the century. I bet Disney had something to do with it. <laughs> well, maybe Donald Duck in <laughs> his debut. No, he didn't. He didn't start in a pink outfit. He didn't like, start pink. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, you gotta take on the show. I'm gonna do some technical stuff. Sorry, sorry, I, I missed something. Here. <laughs> so can I tell you something about Safe Online? Here? Yes, please do. Okay. Super entertaining. I'm super. Um, I'm super happy. I mean, the 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 involvement with Kala and the the book has been great over the last two years. But really, the work that imports me is working in the valley here and throughout the province of British Columbia, delivering internet safety presentations. Um, so we uh, we do presentations for children, as I was saying earlier, from grades 4 to grades 12. Mm-hmm. We also talk to parents, talk to police, uh, social workers. I've had some interesting experiences recently uh, doing workshops for people who meet the needs of homeless. Because uh, some surveys, uh, there's a survey out of Ontario, for example, that said that 85% of homeless surveyed had cell phones. And if you think about it, it's now becoming a necessity of life almost to be able to engage online in some ways to access government services, et cetera. Yes. And it brings up, a, a, you know, all of, I believe, the human services fields are being impacted by online communication and, and the ways that the Internet is affecting us and affecting therapeutic needs and harm and as well as uh, education. So we're happy to... Uh, educate everyone we can that is delivering client services or is dealing with young people. Um, I'm also working right now on writing something called an online outreach guide because uh, youth workers are more and more interacting with clients in online spaces like Facebook or through social networks, um, through email, through text messaging, yet um, many of the nonprofit organizations don't have protocol or policy that would guide confidentiality and how it would be different for uh-huh. them online. So um, youth workers are really being challenged. The you know the old EDs and boards of directors are really concerned about liability issues, but for youth workers, whose concern is mostly youth, they're w- willing to use their own personal devices and personal social network sites or profiles to contact their youth if they're desperate to find out whether they're alive or not. Mm-hmm. Because Which kids, makes sense, of course. Kids don't get how public everything is, and don't realize that if you run away from home, it may be that you know your youth worker can just track you from where you're posting on Facebook. You know, speaking of bullying, I'm going to get into another segment that we all love here. I, another I, brilliant I, moment brought to you by religion. <laughs> my my children. And, and immediately told me how they had no idea before how the images especially, but anything they put on the internet stays there forever. So they, that made a huge impression on them that they, and they're very, very careful about what they post because they know it's going to be on, it can be around forever. So. And just like Stranger Danger, that one time is great and I'm really happy that it had a positive impact on your girl, but I know that you've followed that up many other times and we have to keep talking about to them continually. Yes. Okay, well, now you took about two minutes out of my segment. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I just want your opinion on this. Uh, Like I said, we don't hold any punches on the religion when it comes on the the show. Uh, Two interesting uh, uh, stories. Uh, Did you know that uh, Pope Frank, Pope Francis, apparently said a couple weeks ago he would baptize aliens if they ever came here? I'm sure that's going to mean more visitations from them in the future. Well, you know, know, I'm starting to think that that is one of the reasons why Earth is probably like the Alabama of the universe. Aliens are just saying, you know, don't stop there, dude. It's 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 it's, it's crazy down there. There's no communion. Why stop there? <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, as if some higher intelligence would want to be uh, indoctrinated in your sheep herding, desert worshiping, genocidal, sadistic god. Come on, Frank. Uh, you really think the Martians are going to come here? They, you know, inter- interstellar travel, and they go say, hey, let's go get some sp- or a forehead sprinkled with water or something because it really means anything. But then what if they start showing up because of it? 
If that happens, I just might convert. There's no like other that. communion wafers in the galaxy except <laughs> in Vatican City. And speaking of bullies, um, story number two is, um, have you guys heard of the Family Research Council? Yeah, so this is in the States. Uh, the president's name is Tony Perkins. And uh, when you hear of like a family research council, family preparedness, it's all a right wing for sure. Uh, he says that uh, gay right activists are like the Nazis. And uh, he's, of course, complaining about, oh, well, you know what? He's complaining about them. Let's, let's really. Isn't that, that the Gotwin law? Oh, I don't know. But I, I really want to set the mood here because I love it when Christians just complain like that all the time. Okay. They're complaining. They're saying, I'm beginning to think that our re-education pro- uh, camps next. When are they going to start rolling out the boxcars to start hauling Christians? Oh. You know, in the meantime, radio talk show host Brian Fisher also claims discrimination against gays is a good thing. Kind of like Martha Seward was saying. <laughs> and, and necessary. The alternative is other social chaos. Can't you just feel the sadness, people? What do we do with something like that? Well, I think we refer to the Internet, and on the Internet, the Gotwin Law says that any time you refer to the Nazis, as part of your argument, you automatically lose. I like <laughs> I that. Agree, I That's agree. awesome. John Stewart had a brilliant uh, segment on when he talked about Hitler doing the same thing. I mean, how much ignorance, bigotry, and stupidity wrapped in a Christian persecution complex can they muster? I mean, uh, you know, gays aren't getting special rights. Uh, special rights is like, um, I don't know, not paying taxes. Churches do? That's a special right. You know, getting married is not a special right. It's just equal rights. So anyway, it's a sad violin. I just love it. It is a sad violin. <laughs> that, that was our brilliant moment segment. All right. Where are we at? I think we're, we're pretty much at the end. We're almost wrapping up. Is it time for my rant? Should I do a rant? No. He gets to rant at the end as well? I did. I get to rant. You, you just ranted. I just ranted? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Your rant is wrong. My, my rant is wrong. Well, I'm just going to do one anyway. Too bad. Yeah. I know. I broke. Sorry. Liam, Liam wants to deny, deny me my rant. Well, sorry, Liam. I'm denying you. Denied. You suck. All right. Well, I might be dating myself when I tell kids that I grew up in a world without the internet. I find it amazing that we can have access to the sum of human knowledge throughout the ages, and it also conveniently fits in the palm of your hand. What an amazing time we live in. But like the overprotective parent who dot on their child, we often forget to give the next generation not only what we didn't get, but also what we did get. There's no secret to this, it's no secret to this audience that evolution is a very slow process. Add to this technological revolutions and you get today's problems. A species not mature enough to handle the technology it possesses. Now I'm not one to look too much to the past like some kind of golden age. The fact is that just about every level of society has improved over time. But there is something we did better in the past. We knew when to shut up. Some of you are surely tempted to tell me to follow my own advice, like Liam right now. And one day I will, I will but... Uh, what we are discussing today is the youth's inability to filter when to hold back on information and respect their privacy, especially when they've known the tech and treated it as a toy since the cradle. In their mind, this toy is harmless. They've been playing with computers and tablets all their life, as opposed to the older generation that playtime meant going outside with a ball. The responsibility of this lies with the parent, and we are failing miserably at it. It is because... Is it because we feel inadequate on giving advice regarding something your kids outshine us at? If so, consider this. Your kids are better at this tech stuff than your stone age brain that can barely cope with the concept, sure. But they have little to no experience with human psychology. As adults, we already have read and experienced the darker side of humans. We've seen the dark underbelly of ambition and angry undertones of aggression for frivolous reasons. And most of us, smarter ones anyway, I've come to the inescapable conclusion that despite our fables, humans are animals too. Dangerous ones when left unchecked. So don't leave your kids uninformed and thus unequipped to face the world, which every generation 
from primitive clans to the savannah to her own upbringing, parents have always had the charge to teach, prepare, and even arm their kids to survive in their ever-changing environment. Technology isn't going away. It's evolving much faster than our ability, as old-timers, to adapt to it. And kids are immersed in it. Let's not drop the ball on this one. We owe them that much. They count on us. I want to thank Merlin so much. Yes, for thank coming. you so much for coming, Merlin. It was a great pleasure to have you here. It was uh, a pleasure to be here. And, and, and really <laughs> coming up in the next consequential shows, whatever, yeah, down yeah. the road. Just keep it on us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You can always contact us, send us love mail or hate mail to leftatvalley at outlook.com. Or you can follow us on Facebook, or you can check our website, www.leftatthevalley.com. Leftatthevalley.com. Yes. Not left at valley, left at the valley. At the valley. A-T-T-H-E. Like you left it at the valley? Like so, yeah. Like behind. you left you it left at the valley. Yeah. <laughs> We're professionals here, you can tell. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for coming, and uh, we'll see you guys down the road. Have a stellar day. Bye.